This morning we are continuing to hear from storytellers, and John Lindbergh is our storyteller today, and a few things about John that you may or may not know is John was a doctor in Seattle for many years, and he and his wife helped start ECC, which was Mercer Island Covenant back then in the late 50s. He also has an identical twin brother named Bob, who also lives at Covenant Shores. And just personally, something I would want to say about John is, I come to church just to see John, because he is the most encouraging person to me. Even if I'm terrible that day, John tells me I'm great. So uh, I love that about John. John, would you come on up? Well, they were never 
being used. How could you? I have been saving those for the, for the convertible. Sometimes I think you worship that car. Wow. Inside of me, do you think I exploded? Yes. Was I angry? Yes. Did I show it? Yes. Did Polly know it? Yes. In my mind, I was defending myself. How could you? I learned about <coughs> idols at Sunday school. I go to church. I'm a Christian. Then I started to think. Restoring and rehabilitating cars, it's a great activity. It's a good hobby. They're often a piece of art, aren't they wonderful to see? And however, I realized if it was not an idol, this type of this is the type of thing that could be what could become one. I also started to think, you know, Polly's my wife. She loves me. She probably knows me better than I know myself. That was hard to recognize that, but I think it's true. So anyway, I did calm down. And over a period of time, I realized that I'd grown a little bit. Thanks to Polly and thanks to the Lord's patience. And I started to realize there are a couple ways of responding when suddenly surprised by some kind of personality or moral issue in my life. One, the first way I might hear it and explode and try to defend myself. Another is I might listen and start to think and then respond. And Well, we still enjoyed the car. A few years later, sold it to a gentleman from Yakima who purchased it for a little higher price than I paid for it 16 years earlier <laughs> without the shock manual. <laughs> I have given more thought to listening and then to taking, <laughs> to thinking rather than hearing and exploding. Polly still loves me. I'm wildly in love with her. We together love the Lord, and we don't think there are idols in our life, and we worship him with gladness. To God be the glory. Amen. Amen. Reading is from the book of Colossians. Follow along in your Bible, or use the screens. I will be reading from Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 to 14, in the New American Standard Bible. Let us listen together to the word of the Lord. So, as those of you who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also shall you. 
these things put on love, which is the perfect word of unity. The word of the Lord. Well, good morning again. Glad to be with you all. I saw the most amazing sunset this morning over Mount Si. Oh, I saw the sunrise. That's what I did. And I, it's going to be a day, isn't it? Okay. You wonder how I did that? I was in Australia or something. I don't know. Well, we are continuing in our series in Colossians, and we are starting with Christ's Love Unites, which is a perfect one for Valentine's Day coming up. Now, many of you know that I love Valentine's Day. It's a big deal. Like, you know, you got to wear red or pink. You've got to have everything decorated. When the kids were growing up, we always had a special dinner on Valentine's Day, and we had these friends that we always invited over. And it was just really a big deal. It was a fun thing to celebrate. So, yes, I love Valentine's Day, hence the heart and the chocolate hearts out here. And after church, you will enjoy Valentine's donuts out in the lobby area. So... But you have to stay for the end. So I thought what I would do before we get started in the message is to share my Valentine's card that I bought for my husband. So uh, you're going to have to close your eyes. Katie, make sure he doesn't open his eyes. And you all, I'm going to show it up here and make sure that you don't say a word. Okay, you ready? Can you read that? Don't read it out loud. Okay. Okay, don't open your eyes yet. So, there we go. Now you've had the sneak preview before Tuesday. Uh, we are in, like I said, Christ's Love Unites. And can you find the cross in that, uh, those two hearts there? Nice and subtle, huh? So that really is the crux of it. It's that Christ's love, what he did on the cross for all of us, that is the only thing that can unite so many different people. I would guess in this room, everybody has a different opinion on everything, right? But there is something that can unite all of us, and it is Christ's love. Now, Paul starts out by telling us to keep our focus on God. When he uses in verse, back up in verse 2, set your mind on things above. He says, this is where you need to be focusing, not on all of this other peripheral stuff here. He wants believers to put aside the petty situations that become obstacles in our lives. Ultimately, they slow us down personally, but they also slow us down as a community, and they prevent the spread of the gospel. So he starts with talking about our identity. So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, that is who we are. Now, back in verse 10, he refers to putting on the new self. So now, in verse 12, he's saying, this is who you are. Your new identity is that you have been chosen, you are holy, and you are beloved. You know, understanding who we are is the basis for understanding how we live our lives, the decisions that we make, how we behave. A strong identity is key. And one of the things I read this last week about identity and kids, I want to read to you. A strong family identity also helps children develop a strong, 
and healthy self-identity. Knowing what makes their family unique, traditions, values, and ways of relating to one another gives children a clear starting point for discovering their own place in the world. Studies even show that kids who identify with their family's values tend to be less promiscuous and face less <coughs> risk of drug and alcohol abuse. Pretty strong statement. But you know, this isn't just true for kids, right? It's really, it's really true for all of us. Having a strong identity is very important. When we don't know who we are, when we don't have a clear identity, we're going to form a false identity. We have to, because we have to have some basis to know how we're going to make decisions in our life. Now, I didn't grow up with a positive family identity. I mean, you can have a strong family identity, and it's not positive. I grew up in a home that was very dysfunctional and fractured. And I remember trying to create my own identity. Now, I didn't know I was doing this as a child, but looking back, I realized this is what I was doing. It began by telling my second grade teacher at Jefferson Elementary School in Indiana that our family was going to Hawaii for the two-week Christmas break. Now, nobody in Hammond, Indiana in the 60s went to Hawaii for a Christmas break. I realize that that is very common now, but not then. Nothing could have been farther from the truth. Our family struggled financially to the degree where us kids a lot of times had to hand over our birthday money for, to our parents for groceries. And that's not to feel sorry for me, that's just to show how far-fetched this story was. Now, making up this story and a few others created a much more, in my mind, positive family identity. Now, I got outed, didn't even think about this. My mom went to a parent-teacher conference, and the teacher said, Mrs. Granick, how was your trip to Hawaii? And my mother, I can't even imagine, she must have fallen off her chair. So she comes home, and she wasn't mad, but she just sat me down and she said, why did you tell that story? And I honestly couldn't tell her why. I was very embarrassed that I got caught, but looking back, I can see the starting of me trying to create this other identity that seemed better. Now, as I got older, I took on whatever would create an image that looked more normal, a normal family life. And because my home was chaos, it was really important to me for other people to think it wasn't to think it was all together, it was all normal. We were just like everybody else. Because I wasn't academically minded or thought I was very smart, I needed to focus on looking smart. I worked at becoming whatever I needed to be at times. Now, for each guy that I dated, my identity could change. If my date liked to cross-country ski, oh yeah, I love to cross-country ski. I would hate to cross-country ski. Whatever they wanted to do, I felt like I needed to fit into that, right? So it, it was clear that I didn't know who I was, and I didn't know who I wasn't. And it wasn't until, honestly, that I just decided, I don't care anymore because none of these other guys are any prizes either. I'm just going to be honest. 
when Barry asked me on one of our first dates, so what do you like to do? You probably don't remember this, do you? You don't remember anything. Okay. <laughs> Hence, we're still together. So he said, what do you like to do? And I thought, oh, I could make up something that sounds really intelligent and wonderful. I said, I like to shop. If you don't like it, too bad. Well, since he didn't remember it, I guess that was it. But he was fine with that. The point is, I came to a point where I thought, I just need to be me and not keep trying to conform to what I think I should be or what someone else wants me to be. Now, I'm not that unusual. I really think that most of us in this room have done something like that to a degree. You've wanted to fit in, and so you've kind of created a different identity. So where do you, where do I, get our identity from? How about your job or your position? You get your identity in that. The problem with that is, when that's not there anymore, who are you? Maybe it's your economic status. It's where you are in life on the economic ladder, and that can change, too. Maybe it's education. You wanted to go to a certain school, or you want to go to a certain school. You want to get a certain degree, or you want to get more than one degree. There's something about your education that would make you feel like you had a really strong identity. And maybe it's the people you know. Maybe you're a name dropper, and you like to rub shoulders with famous people and say that you were in the room with so-and-so, and that gives you an identity. I was laughing when I was giving this earlier at the volunteer service, because my older son, who lives in California and works for Fox, he's meeting people right and left, but will never tell us anything. So uh, when he was home over Christmas, he's just like, you know, shuts it down. When he was home over Christmas, he says, well, you know who I met a few months ago? We're like, no. And he shows us on his phone, it's he and Marshawn Lynch. I go, why didn't you call your mother? Why didn't you get an autograph? He was just mortified, because he would never do that. But sometimes it's, it's who you know or who you hang around with. It's maybe even at school, the cool crowd at school, right? Well, I know for me, if I had understood what my identity was in Christ, it would have saved me a lot of time and energy trying to figure it out and making a lot of wrong choices. As parents and as a church body, helping children like Talia, who we dedicated today, and all the other children that we can influence know who they are and whose they are. That is our task. That is our responsibility so that they all have a strong, true identity. We're too focused on making sure that our kids get good grades, go to the right school, excel in certain athletics or music or other activities, and what happens? These kids lose sight of who they are. When they do that, they get into trouble. So do you believe that you are chosen? Do you believe that you're holy, taking on Christ's holiness? Do you believe that you are beloved? I have this great little book that my daughter-in-law loaned me called Life of the Beloved. And that's an area that I have 
trouble believing that I am really beloved. I want to read you a paragraph from here. The change of which I speak is the change from living life as a painful test to prove that you deserve to be loved to living it as an unceasing yes to the truth of that belovedness. Put simply, life is a God-given opportunity to become who we are, to affirm our own true spiritual nature, claim our truth, appropriate and integrate the reality of our being, but most of all, to say yes to the one who calls us the beloved. I love that. It's a wonderful book. Well, now that we know who we are, what our identity is, we move on to what our uniform is to be. Because you see, what we wear identifies who we are. I call these garments of grace. As John read for us, we are putting on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience bearing with one another and forgiving one another. You see, this is what identifies us for being chosen and holy and beloved. They, they identify the condition of our heart and they identify the direction that our life is going. I bet you didn't know that the Bible had a lot to say about fashion. Wearing these garments of grace shows others who Christ is. Now they see him, they don't see us. And there's a lot of other verses that talk about what we are to wear or what we are to put on. We've got Ephesians 6 that talks about putting on the armor of God from head to toe to combat the spiritual attacks that we will go through. The spiritual attacks of saying, you really aren't that. You aren't beloved. You aren't holy. And then we also see in 1 Peter, we are to clothe ourselves with humility toward one another. For God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And then in Ephesians 4, we have, and put on the new self, which is in the likeness of God, has been created in righteousness and holiness of truth. It seems that the Bible tells us that there is an outfit for everything. So not only are we told what to put on, but in previous verses, we're told what not to put on. How many of you know this show? Only a few of you. Oh, my goodness. Okay, this was my favorite show. It was on until just a couple years ago. It went off the season. But here's what this show, the premise was. So this is Stacy and Clinton. It was on the TLC channel. And somebody would nominate a, a family member or a friend or a coworker to these people on the show because they were wearing a lot of things that they shouldn't be. So they would come and descend on this person with all these people around. I'm sure it was extremely embarrassing. And they would say, you're on what not to wear, and we're giving you $5,000 to buy a new wardrobe in New York. And they would explain the fashion rules. So these are the things that look good on you. These are the things you should not be wearing. And it was really a fun show. So we've got what not to wear in verses Eight, and here's what we are not 
to wear or put on. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. We have five items here that we are to remove or put aside. If we don't remove these garments, the new garments, they're not going to fit, no matter how hard we try. We can't be wearing both. Here's where the confusion comes in about our identity. See, if we identify as chosen, holy, and beloved, but we're wearing the garments that are opposite of grace, what are others going to think of us? Well, I can tell you what they think. Christians are hypocrites. And unfortunately, we have created and fostered that opinion. When we say we are one thing, but something else is coming out of our mouth, or we have a different attitude, how could there not be hypocrisy there? Where I think the hypocrisy stops is when we are able to say, I'm sorry. You know, I, we were in a restaurant last summer with some friends in Ellensburg, and wonderful Christian people. But we sat at a table, and then another group got sat at another table, and the waitress had gone to the other group before coming to our table. And I could see the look on our friend's face of just getting angry, like, well, wait a minute, we were sitting here first. Why is she over there? The waitress comes over, and he lets her know, you should have been here first. I was just so embarrassed. What would somebody think if he said, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian, but this is how I treat people? Or I make sure that I don't tip one more penny than I should. All kinds of ways that we are hypocrites. And I think where we stop the hypocrisy is when we can admit we're wrong. Because we all are going to fall back, right? I mean, I know there's plenty of things that I have done and said that have been in the name of assertiveness or being right or whatever way I can um, justify it. But here's the key. If you turn around and you say, I am so sorry. I know you're working really hard. I, please forgive me. Um, you know, that diffuses everything. And you know, even if you're not really sorry because you were right, you can say you're sorry because there was a misunderstanding, because the per people's feelings got hurt. It still can diffuse the situation, and I think that shows a lot more grace. Forgiveness is really hard for a lot of us. There are things that I cringe at that I've done that I do not feel like I can even ask for forgiveness for. But here's the problem with that. I can't extend forgiveness if I haven't accepted God's forgiveness. I cannot give what I have not received. Forgiving one another, it might not be easy, but it is necessary. None of those garments, none of these garments here are going to fit if we don't have a capacity to forgive. If I'm holding a grudge, I can't be compassionate. I can't be humble. I certainly cannot be patient. I 
can't put on any of these garments, I'm going to go back to wearing my old, comfortable garments that I'm really easy to slip right into. But the problem is those garments, they're not pretty. When we fail to forgive, we deny ourselves freedom to live in God's mercy and grace. Forgiveness is a fundamental part of our existence as Christians, and it has to come from the heart. We all have told our kids, go say I'm sorry to so-and-so for what you just did. And they walk over and, sorry, that's not from the heart. And does that help the other person? Not at all. They feel slapped in the face by that kind of a sorry. It has to be from the heart. So verse 12 tells us who we are, what our identity is. Verse 13 shows us what we are supposed to put on. But where do we get the power to live out this identity? Well, it sounds like a cliche, but it's Jesus' love. Jesus' love empowers us to live out our true identity. It says, beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Now, we're not talking about human love here because... Human love, at least mine, can be very fickle, circumstantial, and definitely conditional. Paul's talking about Jesus' sacrificial, perfect love, the love that didn't need to be right, but was interested in the relationship, the love that took on all the blame for what he did not do. So he says, beyond these things, everything else I've mentioned, you've got to put on love. Now, why is love more important than anything else if you're doing all these things? Because it's the only thing that can unite us. Christ's love and what he did on the cross is what unites us as a church body, as as fellow believers. It binds us together, and it binds all the other virtues together. What we choose to put on affects how we relate to each other, which impacts everyone around us. When we as Christians can't forgive each other and are angry, when we use abusive speech, we are hindering the gospel from moving forward. We are preventing others from seeing Christ. We become the stumbling block. The gospel, it is very personal. But according to these verses, it's not private. It's very public. Now, when I think of perfect love, I'm going to show you an image that I have thought of. It is, uh, someone gave me this picture a few years ago. And there are a lot of images of Christ on the cross, I know that. This one is just hits me in a certain way. This image is very convicting to me. Because I see this, and I ask the question, who am I to withhold love and forgiveness from anybody in light of who I am and what Jesus did for me? See, none of the things matter that divide us. None of the opinions, none of the styles, none of the, you know, we've got baptism and dedication and the way we do music and I mean there's all kinds of things we disagree on and can disagree on but if Christ is the center Christ is what we are connected to that is what 
unites us ultimately. That is all that can unite us. When we put on this kind of love, the garments of grace fit perfectly, and our identity is clear. So are you having trouble living out your identity? Are there things that you maybe don't believe apply to you? You feel like, I'm not holy. I am not beloved. You need to think about that. What is, what is your stumbling block? And when others see you, what garments are you wearing? Do they see your true identity, or are they confused about who you are? And what about our church? Is our identity as a church clear to us, and more importantly, the community around us? Would people around us say that we wear the garments of grace or the opposite? You know, I think about our ministry team leaders, and I was thinking about them this week and how much they live out their Christian identity all around I think about Eric Gill, who was our global engagement ministry team leader, and all he does to help, our, to help us stay connected to missionaries and give them support and, and make sure they're taken care of. And I think of Crystal Bauer, who is our uh, local engagement ministry team leader, and how she has such a heart for those on the margins and is one of the people directing Mary's Place and so many others. I think of Carla Kepler and all she does, and it is more than what I tell her to do, even though that's what she says, that she only does what I tell her to do. Carla is our ministry team leader of congregational care, and she meets the needs of so many people with meals and rides and just things that need to happen when you're in a crisis or are sick, memorial services that need to be set up. And I think of Scott Kuhn, who is our youth ministry team leader and how he works with Brent to make sure that the youth have a strong identity. And by the way, Scott and Kathy, have, his wife, have worked in our preschool room for at least 15 years now. Love that guy. Kathy Riper. Kathy Riper, you probably don't know, our hospitality ministry team leader. She is here early every Sunday morning to open up all the doors, to set up the coffee, to get everything ready for you because she wants you to feel welcome when you come in these doors. And Kim Gardner, who is our Connections Ministry team leader, she loves making sure people get to know each other and connect, and she plans all these fun events, one of which is happening in two weeks. I don't know if you saw. We have the Crock-Pot Cook-Off in the lobby area. And so if you want to bring your favorite recipe, contact Kim. There's something in your bulletin, but it's a great way for us to just have fun together as a community. I want to end with this. I looked up our verses in the message, and the message is paraphrased, and so it's not a study Bible, it's not a true translation, but it's nice to see things in a different type of language, in a modern language, and I really liked what it said about our verses. And so I would like for us to read all of these together. So, chosen by God for this new life of love, Dress in the wardrobe God picked out for you. Compassion, kindness, humility, quiet strength, discipline. Be even-tempered, content with second place, quick to forgive an offense. 
Forgive as quickly and completely as the master forgave you. And regardless of what else you put on, wear love. It's your basic, all-purpose garment. Never be without it. That's a great Valentine's message. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that your love does unite us. And God, I can't help but think that everyone here struggles in some way with these garments of grace, whether it's feeling unworthy to wear them or just having a hard time putting them on. God, I pray that each of us will hear from you this morning what you want us to take from this message, from your message, that we would be true to our identity, that we would show others who you are, that we would stay connected to you and let your love unify us. Thank you, Lord, that you give us all we need to do that through the power of your Holy Spirit. We pray these things in your name. Amen.